It is so great to be with the One Community family. What a privilege. And uh, I've just got to tell you that uh, Pastor Conway and Jada are two of my favorite people in the whole world. And I, I just want to be praying for you because he's been resting and that's trouble for you. All right? Because he's going to come back from that retreat and he's going to wear you guys out. That's just the way Pastor Conway is. Don't you just love him? I mean, I know you know this, but your pastor is one of the great leaders of the world. He really is. And Jada, what a great helpmate uh, she has been and what a great leader that she is. And it's just great to be back with you guys. This is actually my fourth time to have the privilege to be with the One Community family. And I just want to give a shout out to all of your campuses, to the one in Plano, our broadcast campus, and the one in Prosper, the one in Louisville, uh, the one in Dallas. And then that campus that uh, a lot of you have joined for a temporary time, the E-Campus. And folks who uh, attend one community every week who can't be at one of the physical campuses. I do want to say this, though, that once this pandemic is over, I hope you'll find a campus, a one community campus near you, and that you'll get there and you'll meet some folks face to face. Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And, and I don't want to downplay the e-campus because there's some of you who won't be able to do that. There's some of you who are part of the one community experience all around the world. And this gives you the opportunity through technology to stay connected in that way. But if you can possibly uh, be at one of the physical campuses once this pandemic is over, then I encourage you to do that. Uh, I just want to pray as I begin today. I want to pray for this church because this church plays such an important role in what's going on in our world today. Uh, we saw the uh, church and culture connection already today, and there's so much that has taken place since the last time I was with you, and I just want to pray for you. The Bible tells us that we as Christians are to be in the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we're not only to be helping people reconcile in their relationship with God, but we're to help people. We're to be the catalyst for people to be reconnected, to have reconciliation. And one community church has done that. And I've watched with amazement how well you guys have done that. And I just want to pray for you today. And I want to pray that God would continue to use you as a mighty force in this world to make this world a better place, to be both salt and to be light. Let me pray for you at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for one community. I thank you for Pastor Conway and Jada. I thank you for the difference that you're making in this community and many communities across the metroplex but really in the world because of their faithfulness to reconciliation and i just pray dear father you would empower them uh, to take them to a new level dear father and impacting this world and i pray dear father that what we learn today from your word will help us to be courageous and to be bold and to have big faith we pray this in the precious name of jesus christ amen now, at age 67, it's not hard for me to get down and to kneel. The challenge is to get back up, all right? So let's do that. Hey, we're in the middle of a series, and the series is uh, about uh, a summer series. It's about lessons in big faith. And so I want us to talk about the opposite of big faith today, and that is fear. This past week, as I was thinking about fear, I thought about uh, growing up and some of the fears that my brothers and I had uh, when we were growing up. I'm actually one of three boys. I'm that troubled middle child, all right? I have an older brother who uh, teaches at uh, Baylor University. I have a younger brother who's actually on staff at Watermark Church in Fort Worth. And I was thinking about their fears. My little brother had a fairly common fear, a fear that a lot of us have had. 
he had a fear of monsters either in the closet or under the beds. And I remember several times being awakened in the middle of the night with my little brother talking to the monster in the closet and say, hey, I know you're there and I want you to know that I've got a gun and I know how to use it and I'm not afraid to use it. There were other times when uh, I would see him leap into his bed because he was afraid just to walk up to his bed because he's afraid that that monster underneath his bed would grab him and pull him in. And so he would leap into his bed. And there were times that he got so afraid during the night about the monster under his bed that he would take one giant leap to avoid the monster under his bed, land once, and then take another leap into the middle of my bed to avoid the monster underneath my bed. I finally had to make him uh, more afraid of me than both monsters under the bed and the one in the closet so he would stay in his bed at night. Now, my older brother, Mike, had, I think, a very unique fear. I don't know where he got it, I don't know if he dreamed this or what, but he had this fear that he would trip and fall and break all of his teeth out. And so where most kids, when they would trip and fall, they would brace their falls with their hands. My brother Mike would put both of his hands over his mouth to protect his teeth, had scabs on his head all the time, because he would fall on the sidewalk. And then I had a kind of an embarrassing fear myself, but I'm looking at the clock and it looks like I don't have time to share it today, all right? Now, there are fears, to be sure, that are positive fears. Uh, There's a fear that you might not pass the exam, and so that fear causes you to study. That's a good fear. There's a fear that you might be in an accident, and so you take and you put your seatbelt on. That's a healthy fear. Uh, There's a fear that you might not be able to provide for your family, and so you wake up early in the morning, and you get dressed, and you go to work, and you do your work well. Those are healthy, constructive fears. That's not what the Bible's talking about when in Luke 8.50 it says, Fear not, only believe. It's talking about those negative, destructive fears, those fears that paralyze us, those fears that distract us, those fears that keep us from doing great and mighty things for God. Fear not, only believe. Because those are our two choices. We can either be afraid or we can be people of faith. It's one or the other. The two cannot reside together. We're going to look at a passage today that talks about fear. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me to Matthew, the eighth chapter. If not, uh, the scripture will appear there on the screen. You can follow along. In Matthew, the eighth chapter, verse 23, we find Jesus getting on the boat with his disciples. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he himself was asleep. And they came to him, and they awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, don't miss this, why are you timid, O men of little faith? And he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Now, friends, that is what fear really is. Fear is little faith. We want big faith, because little faith is actually fear. That's what it is. So how do we become people of big faith? Well, it's right here in the passage. First of all, it says in verse 23 that we've got to be in the right place. Notice what it says. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. The one thing for sure is the disciples were in the right place because they were 
in the boat with Jesus. He had encouraged them to follow him into the boat, and they were there. And because they were there, they were in the right place. It reminds me of King David when he wrote in Psalm 23, which we all are familiar with. He said, Yea, and though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, David knew that when the Lord was with him, when he was where the Lord wanted him to be, that he could be courageous. When he was in the field, that's where the Lord wanted him. And so he would pick up his slingshot and his stone and he would face a lion and he wasn't afraid. How how did that happen? Because he knew that he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do at that season of his life. He was a shepherd and he was being faithful to be a shepherd and protect his sheep. When the bear came, he was not afraid. How, How was that so? Because he was in the right place at that season in his life. Even later on, when he would face the giant, when all the others would run, he was confident because he was exactly where God had called him to be to stand up for the glory and the reputation for God. Here's a question I want to ask you today. Are you in the right place? Are you where God wants you today? Because that's the first step of having big faith and no fear, is to know you're exactly where God wants you. You see, there's a concept called God's will. There's a circle of God's will. And here's what the Bible says, that if we stand in that circle, that there is what the Scripture says, a shield of faith in front of us. And it says the shield of faith will stop all the fiery darts of the evil one. You see, darts come to us in this life, in this fallen world, even when we're in the right place. But there's a kind of protection that is there that is not there if we step outside of the will of God. If we step outside of the will of God, what we do is we expose ourselves to the fiery darts of the evil one. Are you in the right place? There's some of you today, you know that you're in the wrong relationship and you need to get out of it today. Some of you or in the wrong job. You're working somewhere that God has not really built you or created you, formed you to work, but you're doing that because of some kind of status or because you're trying to please someone else or because of the money that it would provide. And you need to get in the right place. Some of you right now are not involved in a local church. You find yourself running with the wrong crowd and you need to get in the right place because only then can you have confidence to live your life. You see, David was in the right place as a young shepherd boy. He was in the right place as he went to visit his brothers and fight Goliath. But there came a time in his life where he found himself in the wrong place. During the reign of David, the the borders of Israel had been expanded greatly, and he had built a great kingdom because he was in the right place. But there came a time when he got comfortable, and he found himself in the wrong place. There's a an old sports program that used to have a theme to it, and it said, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That is true. There is a thrill of victory and an agony of defeat. But I want to also say to you today, there is the agony of victory. Because David got so victorious that he thought that he could be in the wrong place and God would bless him. And he sent out his soldiers to war, but instead of going and being there as their leader, that was the place that God had called him to be. He was back at the palace And he was enjoying the comfort of the position of being king. And he was in the wrong place. And he found himself on the roof of that palace. And he found himself looking at the wrong thing and having a relationship in a wrong way. And he committed adultery. And then 
things began to unravel, and then he had to lie, and then things got worse, and to cover up his lie, he committed a murder. And his whole family was shattered. His whole family received the darts of the evil one. And he no longer had a protection that he had when he was in the right place. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's where you are today. The answer to fear, first of all, is that we would be in the right place. But the scripture goes on here. It says that we're not only to be in the right place, but we're also to be with the right person. My, I have two daughters who have both uh, given me together five great-grandchildren, and uh, I'm appreciative of that. My oldest daughter has a fear of flying, and I was flying with her this last year, and it was kind of an interesting thing because she was not afraid that day. And I, and I, and I noticed it, and I turned to her, and I said, Now, Rachel, I thought you were afraid of flying. And she said, Oh, Dad, I'm okay as long as you're on the plane. I said, well, that's interesting. Why do you say that? She said, well, I know you're a minister and God's not going to let this plane go down. Well, a little bad theology there, but it was working for her, so I didn't correct her at the time, all right? But, you know, sometimes our fear is a race when we're with the right person. And, of course, the right person for them was Jesus Christ. The right person for us is Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a little context of the scripture that we're looking at. The context here is earlier in that day, there was a centurion who had come to him, and uh, he had uh, been requested by the centurion to heal his servant. Jesus said, I'll go and heal your servant. He says, oh no, you don't need to do that. I believe in so much, I have so much faith in you, I believe that you could just speak it, and my servant would be healed. And so Jesus remarked about his faith, and he healed his servant long distance. He did long distance healing before AT&T, all right? And when the centurion went back home, he found out that his servant had been healed at the very time that Jesus has spoken the words of healing. And then Jesus goes with the disciples to Capernaum, which is a little fishing village there at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And there he finds uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick as well. And he touches her, and she is healed. And she gets up and serves them. And then he heals many others that are there, and it's there at Capernaum. It was there at that dock that he got on the boat with his disciples, and the disciples had seen all of this. Now, understand this, that Jesus was fully God, and yet he was also fully human. And the human side of Jesus got tired, and so he went down below deck to go asleep. But it has been such an amazing day. The disciples weren't ready for sleep yet. Their minds were still racing. They were standing there on the deck of that boat and they were recounting all the great miracles that they had seen that day as they looked out across to the Golan Heights as the sun was going down behind them. And then all of a sudden on that dusty deck came one big raindrop. Now when a first drop is that big, you know you got a frog choking storm that's coming. And then a second drop and a third and a fourth and fifth and everything. And all of a sudden it started raining really hard and the wind started coming over the Golan Heights down into the valley where you find the Sea of Galilee and those were fishermen most of them were fishermen and they knew what was coming this was going to be a big storm and so they started doing what fishermen do they started taking the sails down and they started to tie up the cargo and they started getting busy to get ready for that storm I don't know if you've ever done that or not you've seen a storm come in your own life and so you've gotten busy because you've taking care of it before and you start battening down the finances and you start 
uh, solving problems and you start doing the things that you know that you can do. But it's like when a hurricane comes and you realize all of a sudden that this thing is going to be bigger than ever before. This past week, we've had a couple of hurricanes that have come through the United States. And, you know, it's funny when you have an area like Florida where there's a lot of hurricanes, people start thinking that they can handle it. And they start boarding up things and they start getting extra water and they start putting the sandbags down and they think that they can be the solution. But every once in a while, you get a big storm. You get a Category 4, you get a Category 5 like Hurricane Andrew several years ago in Miami. And then all of a sudden, those who had become complacent and those who had become confident in their own abilities, they realize, hey, this is out of our control. We're in trouble here. And that's what happened to the disciples. They realized that they were facing a storm like they had never faced before. The Scripture says that the storm was so great that the waves were covering the ship, coming over the ship. And so they started looking around. They started saying, where, where is Jesus? And, and finally they realized that he was down underneath and he was asleep. And then they did something I think is very, very interesting. These fishermen make Jesus a carpenter, the captain of the ship. Pretty good move. And the reason they did that is because they realized that he was the right person. They had seen the miracles that he had performed that very day, and they realized that he possessed something that they didn't possess, and he had something they didn't have. And so they came to him, and they elected him captain of the ship. See, they, didn't, they were not only with the right person, but they were rightly related to the right person. Don't miss that. And they said these words in the Scripture. It says, they said, Lord, save us. We're perishing. Now, I want you to look at that with me, will you? They said, first of all, we're perishing. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to admit that you have a need, to admit that there's a problem that's greater than you've been able to fix. You know, over the years of about 40 years pastoring Lake Point Church, one of the great privileges that I've had is to talk to young children with their parents about their own salvation. And a lot of times we'll begin with the problem. The problem is sin, isn't it? Sin is spelled S-I-N. It's that middle letter. It's when I'm the God of my life instead of trusting the true God to be the God of my life. And, and, and when we do that, we begin to do things that we shouldn't do. And as I talk to children about that, I say, you know, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. You're a sinner, aren't you? And, and, the, and the question usually catches that little child off guard because they're having to admit they've done something wrong. And usually when they admit that they do something wrong, they get in trouble. And so they're a little hesitant. And a lot of times I say, you're a sinner, aren't you? You committed sin, haven't you? And a lot of times they'll fall back on their first defense, which is called lying, all right? And they'll start shaking their head like this. And then out of their corner of their eye, they see their parents and they know their parents know differently and they turn like this. Guys, that's the hardest thing, not only for children, but it's the hardest thing for us. To admit that we have a need, to admit that there's a need in our life that we cannot provide the solution for. We're perishing. Have you come to the Lord and have you admitted the fact that you can't be the God of your own life, that you can't provide your own salvation, that you've not been able to manufacture your own happiness, that you've not been able to erase the mistakes of the past? That's where it begins with saying, we're perishing. You know, if you go to a mall... And you see a map there, and you're trying to get to where you need to go. The first thing you look for is that little red dot that says you are here. Because you can't get to where you need to be unless you first admit 
where you currently are. And you got to know and, and, and declare that we're perishing. And, but notice also they expressed this dependency upon him. They not only said we're perishing, but they said, save us. You know, the scripture says in Romans that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And here, here's a little game we play at church. We all do. We talk about calling on the Lord, but we don't call on the Lord. We say, boy, I'm really worried about where I'm going to go to college. I've really been praying about where to go to college, and we're lying. We haven't prayed once about where we're going to go to college. We're talking about praying about where we're going to go to college because that's what you do at church. You talk about how much you pray. Or you say, I'm really praying about my finances. I've been lifting up my finances to the Lord, and you're lying. You haven't been lifting up your finances to the Lord. You've been talking about lifting up your finances to the Lord. Whoever actually verbalizes, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they're the ones that are saved. And we need to declare that he's God and we're not. We need to declare that we need his help. Lord, save us, we're perishing. But notice finally what they did is they granted authority. They said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Have you ever prayed this prayer, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this problem, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you'll just solve this issue, I'll serve you the rest of my life. That's a wrong prayer. The prayer should be, I will serve you the rest of my life. I will serve you the rest of my life. And if you get me out of the problem, that's okay. I trust you. They said, Lord, you see, we want him to be resident in our life, but he wants to be president of our life we want him to redeem our problem but he wants to rule our problem we want him to be savior but the you know the bible talks more about him being lord than it talks about him being savior you can't separate the two he will not be resident without being president and he will not redeem it without being the ruler of our life lord save us we're perishing we got to be in the right place to have the confidence of big faith. We've got to be with the right person. More than that, rightly related to the right person in order to have big faith. But don't miss it. They were in the right place, rightly related to the right person, and yet they were still afraid. What was missing? Look back at verse 26, if you will. In verse 26, he came to them and he asked this question, why are you timid, O men of little faith? You know, they'd come to him, they said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And they were still afraid. Why were they afraid? And it was that they did not have the right perspective. Now, what do we mean by that? It means that even though they were in the right place with the right person, rightly related to him, they had their focus in the wrong place. Their focus was still on the waves. You see, the sea was not yet calm. That's why they were still afraid. You see... God wants us to have big faith, but big faith is not about us being adequate in our faith. It's about the object of our faith. And what Jesus revealed for them that you and I need to have revealed for us is that we put our faith in little things. That's little faith. God doesn't want us to try harder to have faith or, 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 or to, to try to exert more faith. It's not about our spiritual maturity. It's about the object of our faith you see don't miss this they were using jesus to change what they had really put their faith in 
They had put their faith in the storm. They put their faith in the weather. They put their faith in the wind. And they came to us and said, Jesus, change that which we're trusting in. I love the story of Paul and Silas who are in the right place serving God. And they get thrown in prison. And don't miss this, they were still in the right place. And their clothes have been ripped off of them and their backs have been beaten. They don't know whether they're going to live or die And the Bible tells us that at midnight they are lifting up their hands with chains on them, praising God. Because their faith was in God, not in their circumstances. They weren't waiting till their circumstances changed to praise God. They were praising God because they had big faith. They had big faith. There's a man in our church recently who came to me that was having financial problems. In the process of discussing his situation, we found out that the reason was he was in the wrong place. He was in a place called materialism. And he was depending upon things and, 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 the, and the things that money could buy for him to provide for his happiness. And as a result, his finances were out of control. He was not giving anything, investing in the kingdom of God. He was not tithing. He was in the wrong place. And we said, if we're going to solve this, first of all, you've got to get in the right place. And he did. He, he repented and, and he stopped spending stuff on on things that couldn't buy happiness for him. He started giving faithfully, even though it was difficult. He didn't see how the numbers worked. And several weeks later, I called him back and I said, how's it going? He said, it's going great. And I said, oh, great. You're out of debt. You're solving all the, oh no, I've still got all the debt. I've still got financial problems. But he says, I'm doing the right thing. I'm trusting in God. I've declared him as the Lord and the master of my life. Nothing had changed in the circumstances but there was a peace that passed, that passed understanding because he was in the right place, rightly related to the right person, and he was putting his trust in God, not in his financial circumstances, to change. It was just one day later that he called me, and he said, you never believe what happened today. He said, my boss just gave me a $5,000 bonus, and he said, it got me back into where I needed to be financially. Now, what impresses me about that story is that he had big faith and he had lost his fear and and his finances were no longer something that was causing conflict in his marriage and keeping him up at night because he stopped looking at the little things and he started looking at the big one and that's what it really means it means that we change our focus from our circumstances and we focus in on god friends we live in a fallen world in a fallen world, even if you're in the right place, related, related to the right person, you're still going to have storms that come. It's a part of this life. Scripture says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might have tribulation. It says you will have tribulation. And if we focus in on our tribulation, if we focus in on our circumstances, if we focus in on our health or our finances or our enemies, then we will live in fear in a fallen world. But if we are where God wants us to be, rightly related to him, and we look to him in faith, we can have big faith even when the circumstances haven't come back together again. Years ago, when I was a high school student, I went to be a summer missionary in California. And one of the things that we did is we actually preached in local churches there in California during the weekend. And then during a week, we went up into the high Sierras and took some juvenile delinquents with us on a long hike and over a night camping. And I remember the very first time we went up there, it was in June, and there was still snow on the ground in the high Sierras. 
I had this little tent that I slid into and I had this little travel blanket that would fold up neatly in my backpack and not take very much weight. The only problem with it is that when I took the blanket and pulled it up over my head because my head was so cold, I could actually see my breath, my feet were uncovered. And when I slid that blanket down to cover my feet, then my head was uncovered. My problem was is I had a blanket that didn't cover everything. Now, some of us have a faith that's like that. It just doesn't cover everything. You know, I've got two daughters that I've already mentioned. When they were young, they thought dad was Superman. They really did. They thought I could fix almost everything. You know, I, with enough duct tape and, and, and bailing wire, I could pretty much solve any problem. A little money coming out of my pocket would solve the other problems. But there was something that my girls never asked me to fix, and it was their hair. If they had a problem with their hair or they were late to school and they needed some assistance there and I would offer to help them with their hair, they go, oh, no, daddy. No, no, that's all right. We're okay. We're okay. Because they knew something about their daddy. They knew that there were some things that daddy couldn't do. And one thing that daddy couldn't do was anything that had to do with a girl's hair. Some of us view God that way. Do you understand that the disciples knew at this time that he was the Lord of physical health because they'd seen him heal two people that very day that he was the lord of the demons because he'd seen him they'd seen him cast out the demons they knew because of other circumstances that had happened the weeks before that he was the lord of fish and bread as well because he multiplied them and fed five thousand plus but somehow don't miss it it said they marveled that even the wind and the sea obeyed him is your faith Divided up in categories where you know God is the Lord of relationships, but you don't know that he's the Lord of finances. You know that he's the Lord of finances, but you don't know that he's the Lord of health. He is Lord. Say it with me. He is Lord of all. Say it with me. He is Lord of all. You show me what you're afraid of today, and I'll show you what you put your faith in. Because whatever you're afraid of, that's what you put your faith in. And friends, we don't need to try harder to have greater faith. We need to put our faith in a greater one. And when we do, we will experience big faith, great faith, a faith that covers it all. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for how practical it is, how it touches the real life that we live each and every day. I pray, dear Father, for those who are here today who uh, are worried and they are afraid about their job situation, about their finances, uh, about their health, about a relationship. I pray, dear Father, that they would take their focus off of those little things and redirect that focus to you. And, And because they believe in you, they would obey you, find themselves in the right place, rightly related to you, and look not to circumstances, but patiently wait to know that you're not only able to solve the problem, but you're smart enough to know when to solve the problem, and that you can be trusted to do it in just the perfect time. I also pray today, dear Father, I don't want to miss this, I want to pray for those who have never prayed that first prayer of dependency upon you to forgive them of their sin. If there's someone hearing my voice today that has never 
invited you into their life to forgive them and be both Lord and Savior, that they would do that today to just pray a simple prayer. Lord, save me. Without you, I'm perishing. Do you need to pray that prayer right now? Maybe right now where you're sitting, where you're standing, just to say, Lord, save me. I'm perishing without you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.